Hello and welcome to Bike Tales, which this season is recorded in Chichester on England's south coast. For this, the final episode of this season, I'm coming full circle to talk about life and cycling in Sussex with a Brit who has just returned from Canada. A few weeks ago, I was introduced to Mark Simmons. Mark has always ridden, but for a big part of his life, cars and in particular Volkswagens were his passion. Mark's partner was actually the driving force behind their move to Canada. She's always been a traveller and when she got itchy feet in 2005, she headed off to British Columbia to do some exploring on her own. And Mark, back in the UK, got a call which was to change his life. She'd been there a couple of days, she phones me and she's, it's fantastic here, you can't believe how wonderful it is here, I love it, I love it, we should move. I'm like, we'll talk about this when you get home. And she's been everywhere. And so the following year, we went together. I went, yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And she still wanted to move. So I said, yeah, go on then. So we moved. <laughs> but they didn't move to Vancouver immediately. They actually headed to Nova Scotia on the East Coast and made their way across the continent, escaping snowstorms to Mark's brother in California, where they parked up their RV alongside his house and swapped their large mode of transport for something a little easier to get about on. So he said, we've got mountain bikes in the shed, take those. So we got back on a bike for the first time in donkey's years and um, started riding around Napa, which is fairly flat and pretty as the river and all this sort of stuff. So basically we rediscovered bikes at that point. So we need to get bikes. This is great. And bimbling around, it's very different in Napa. It's quiet and flat and easy. Most people talk about, oh, it's not safe to cycle. But in recent years, they've been talking about comfort. And I always thought it was a silly word. But when you've actually been on it, you go, yeah, it is comfortable, isn't it? (laughs) So it was comfortable there. That experience of comfortable cycling was transformative. And when they headed north to Canada, they stopped at the first Walmart they found when they crossed the border to buy their own bikes. Stopping in Calgary, a city famed for its oil and gas industry, they found themselves invited to a local alternative energy meetup. And being curious and open to exploring anything, they went along and made an exciting discovery. We didn't know what it was, we just said we'd go. And it was a guy from one of the local bike shops who had a Bionics converted e-bike. And I took one look at it and went, that's a game changer. That's it. This is this the whole new world now. An electric bike is genius. And he showed how it all worked. And I just looked at it and went, I understood it instantly. I'm having that. Mark bought his first e-bike in 2011, nine years before me, and when they were still emerging technology with all the problems associated with that. I ended up working for a company in Vancouver fixing electric bikes a few sort of mobility aid things as well, kind of scootery things, mopeds, that kind of stuff, all e-bikes, all Chinese, all cheap, all shit. It was just literally rip that out. And once you diagnose it's, you know, this part, you just tear it out and put another one in. You wouldn't necessarily have that part because the Chinese do things so fast that you can't get that controller again because it's a year old already. So you can get a similar controller with similar spec, but nothing's branded, nothing's labelled. So you have to go through and test things, blow things up, have a few fires, and they go, oh, that one works. 
And you think I'm joking, but that's how it works. Because there's no manuals, there's nothing, there's no continuity. Although Mark loved being an early adopter, he found far from speeding up his journey, e-bikes actually often slowed them down. It's like going out with a superstar. I literally would sit there like on the sea bus and go, this must be what it's like to be famous because you'd sit there and they'd be looking at you and you'd be looking away, trying to ignore them because you're going to have the same conversation. And then they come out, they sidle over and they go, is that an electronic bike? Yes. Is that the motor? And they'd be pointing at the battery. So now that's the battery. How does it work? And da, da, da. And you didn't get any peace. If you went to get coffee from Timmy's, you'd have the same conversation. Sitting there, your bike sitting next to you, you'd have the same conversation. It just went on and on for years to the point where I didn't want to go out on it anymore. <laughs> from Calgary, they headed to Vancouver, the city that lures in so many Brits with its British-like climate and proximity to the Rockies. Throughout their travels, Mark was always dabbling in bikes, whether it was repairing those early Chinese-made e-bikes or inventing a bike trailer. When he arrived on the West Coast, he started working for Velo, Vancouver's bike share scheme. And it was here that he had a front row seat watching the popularity of e-bikes grow in the city. The bikes would come by in clumps, in bursts. A hundred bikes would come by and and there'd be one e-bike in there. And then as the years went by, then there'd be more and more e-bikes, 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 e-bikes. So there it got to the point a couple of years ago when it was like maybe half the bikes coming by, getting on for that, 40% of the bikes would be e-bikes. And then you'd see the odd cargo bike. And then the last couple of years, it went from that transition from no e-bikes to loads of e-bikes, from no cargo bikes to quite a few cargo bikes. So now you start to see every time there's a gaggle of bikes came through, there'd be two or three cargo bikes in there as well. That momentum built much quicker. But it wasn't just visual data that Mark was able to collect while he lived in Vancouver. The introduction of the Moby bike share scheme was also being watched closely to measure its success. And they discovered some interesting things that link back to that theory about comfortable cycling. At Moby, we had the University of British Columbia, UBC. They took all our data and they would give us annual presentations on how the bike share was going and shared all this data. And one of the main things I can remember from that was the weather wasn't putting people off using the bike share. And the rain didn't put people off as much as the cold did. But when you actually started talking to people, it was about feeling safe. And as we got more and more bike lanes and COVID came in and they took out whole roads and made them bike safe, the ridership went up. So it was not so much about weather. It's that comfort level. It's about feeling safe. And that's where you start to see women ridership go up a bit as well. Because I think the demographics there are the same as here. It's mainly white blokes of a certain age of which I fall into. Recent research in the UK has shown that half of all women would like to take up cycling, but 90% don't own a bike. And concerns about dangers on the road, personal safety and a lack of cycling infrastructure is what keeps them from starting. This is particularly frustrating as women are often the ones without access to a car and in turn their education and employment opportunities are limited which negatively impacts the local economy. What we've learned is that if you get cycling infrastructure right for women, you get it right for everyone. 
and the return on investment for communities is huge. One of the key things to get things moving is to have more women out there for transport cycling, upright cycling, taking the kids along. And in Canada, they call it AAA or AAA, Structure All Ages and Abilities. So I lived in North Vancouver, so they were putting lots of that AAA stuff in with it completely separated. And then you see kids riding along with mum and dad on their little teeny bikes and people on disabled you know, four-wheel scooter things, um, those sort of things coming along as well, and that, that kind of thing. So Mark learned a lot about bikes in Canada, but despite nearly buying a house in Calgary, his time there came to an end. His partner got itchy feet again, and this time wanted to head east, all the way back to the UK. Having roamed around Canada looking for a place to settle, it was only natural that they'd do a bit of roaming this side of the Atlantic too house and pet sitting to see the country until they found somewhere that seemed like it could be home. We've been driving around literally for getting on for a year now. So we've been exploring East Anglia, looking around there. But my mum's in Waterlooville and they go, have you looked at Chichester? I well, I don't want to live in the southeast. There's too many cars. Deal breaker for me is you have got to be able to ride. So we came to Chichester. We'd never been there before. And I was like, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. I'm wandering around. This is brilliant. So I'm going around and it's, it's brilliant and it's it's pretty flat and it's all the little laneways. It's great fun. It's beautiful and wow, we really like it here. So we just like, it's a gut instinct. It's like, yeah, we're, we can live here. I'm heartened that Mark sees the potential in Chichester, having seen how good cycling can be elsewhere. And he thinks Chichester could take immediate steps towards becoming more active travel friendly without acquiring land, having consultations, or going to planning. When you've got old signs and old painted roadways and all this sort of stuff, if it's old and neglected, it doesn't matter anymore. So as a car driver, that's how they will instinctively think. And as a prospective rider, that's how you think. It's just like, oh, it's not important because they're not looking after it. So the signs that say, there's signs around saying, think bike be aware of bikes or something like this, little signs like that. They're all old and faded. So they repainted everything. It would be like, this is important. This is new. This is shiny. We're, we're caring about this. It seems like an overly simple idea, but I know it's right. It was when I was running down a brand new shared use pathway in Ottawa that I suddenly thought that maybe I could have a bike and not a car. I saw that Ottawa was spending money on infrastructure and it made me trust that bikes were an important part of the city's future. Ottawa and Chichester have overlapped in strange ways. Many of the people I have spoken to in this season have talked with enthusiasm about the kindred spirits they heard in season one. Gabby from episode two felt an affinity with Florence's frustrations on Beechwood Avenue while Mark shares Hans's enthusiasm for citizen maps. The thing I want to do, and actually I would listen to one of your podcasts, some Dutch guy in Canada, you know, right map. As a graphic designer, I look at that project and go, yeah, I can do that. That's easy. It takes time. And because it's not official, it'd have to be like Mark's bike map of Chichester. But you can kind of go down and go, red roads, don't go on those. Green roads, these are great. Because they're quiet, they're one way, you know, they're dead end, but there's an alley, so you can get out and into the next road. I mean, the town's not that big that you can't ride it all. Just get a bit of sponsorship and keep improving the map until it's good. With all this discussion about infrastructure and maps, 
I had to wonder if maybe there would be room for, dare I say it, some kind of bike social in Chichester too? It turns out that Vancouver do them on a whole other level. There was a thing called bike rave. Now I'm too old for raves. I'm not into that kind of thing. But it started off with three friends. They made a soundtrack and they had their little speakers on their bikes. They'd ride around the city playing it. And then they did it next year and there was like 50 of them because friends told friends and they did it again. They create this sort of mixed tape. So they all download it to their iPods or phones and stuff. And off you go, you can sync it, five, four, three, two, one, click. And they're all playing the same music no matter where you are in the procession. So it went from three guys to thousands and thousands of people <laughs> in about four years, all different ages. I don't like the music, but it doesn't matter. It was a soundtrack to this incredible bike rave. Only time will tell if a bike social like the bike rave ever comes to Chichester. That's it for season two of Bike Tales. Appropriately enough, it's been a journey recording it. We've seen a change of control of the City Council after 28 years. I've discovered a small but enthusiastic bike community. And although I've recorded the episodes remotely, I've been inspired to start exploring a little further away on two wheels. Chichester is a city of great potential. I just hope its new leadership are brave enough to choose a healthier, more equitable and sustainable transport future for it. Bike Tales is written, produced and presented by me, Claire Mansell, at storysolutions.net. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or to listen to the first season, which was recorded in Canada's capital city, head to storysolutions.net slash bike tales. And for links and a map that show the location we mentioned in Chichester, check out the show notes.